You know, one of the things that has uh, surprised me over the years is the amount of times I've heard people say that their favourite song is Blessed Assurance. And the reason that surprised me is because the song Blessed Assurance, uh, it doesn't really say a whole lot. Uh, that is, when you compare it to other songs that are more theologically packed, you know, like we've sung Immortal, Invisible or In Christ Alone. Uh, you know, these songs, they're, they're packed with uh, so much theology. Uh, and yet, Blessed Assurance, like it is a really good song, but it doesn't have that same depth to it when you look at the other verses. But see, what the song Blessed Assurance does have is a first line that captures something that is very dear to believers, and that is the assurance of salvation that is found in Jesus. Now, it opens by saying, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And that line is such a comfort. No wonder uh, many people find it as their favourite song. You see, assurance, assurance of salvation, that's actually something that everyone wants. It's something that everyone needs, especially in this world that is full of so many things that cause us to fear, so many things that worry and trouble us. Uh, we need assurance. See, we need assurance to be able to endure suffering, to be able to endure loss and hardship. Uh, we, need, we need assurance to, to be able to face disappointment without it wrecking us. Uh, and we especially need assurance when it comes to facing death. Now, if you have assurance that in the end everything will eventually turn out to be good, then no matter what you face in life, you will be fine. Okay, you'll get through. And do you know, God himself wants us to have assurance. Uh, God wants us to be sure of our standing with him. He wants us to be sure of living forever with him. He doesn't want us to live our lives um, wondering or guessing or stressing out. He wants us to be certain, to be confident that we are right with him, that we will live with him forever. And see, that's actually what this passage is about. See, Paul, he's continuing to teach the good news of justification by faith. He, he's still doing that from the life of Abraham. But in this section that we're looking at today, he actually focuses on the ultimate fulfilment of all that God promised Abraham and in particular, how you today can be sure that you share in that promise, that promise that God gave to Abraham all those years ago, you can be absolutely certain that you share in everything that God promised. That's what this passage is about. And so in this passage, we learn three things about um, the promise that God has made. Uh, the first thing we learn is that it can only be yours by faith alone then we learn what that faith actually looks like and then finally we'll look at the guarantee of it, the guarantee of the promise. So first of all, God's promise can only be yours through faith alone. That's in verses 13 to 17. So what does God promise then? We'll have a look at verse 13. It says, The promise to Abraham and his offspring is that he would be heir of the world. Now, that's an incredible promise. You will be heir of the world. 
But what does that mean? What does it mean to be an heir of the world? Well, one way to actually think about it is to go right back to the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, God created them in his image and he put them in the world to do what? To rule, to have dominion, to be really heirs of the world. Uh, But what happened? Well, Adam failed to do all that God had called him to do. He rebelled against God and then he brought sin and death into the world. And so, okay, Adam was meant to be the heir of the world. And what did he do? He ruined the world. He brought ruin. But God didn't give up on his world. Eventually, he singled out this man named Abraham and made a promise to Abraham. And when we trace that promise through the pages of Scripture and see what that promise actually involved, we will find all roads leading to one destination, Jesus himself. That the promise to Abraham was ultimately the promise of Jesus and all that Jesus would achieve through his life, (coughs) through his death, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) through his resurrection and his coming again in glory. Because at the cross, Jesus began to undo all that Adam did to ruin the world. And when Jesus comes again, he will restore the world to all that it was meant to be. Right? And and then Christ will rule the world together with all of those he has saved. And who are those he has saved? That's Abraham and his offspring. Okay, we learned that last week. Abraham and his offspring are all those who are saved by Christ. And they're the ones who will, as Paul says, inherit the world. You'll be an heir of the world. And we're actually going to hear a lot more about that when we get to Romans chapter 8. But that's God's promise. God's promise is that you'll be an heir of the world. And so what we see there is that that's actually a whole lot more than saying that you'll go to heaven when you die. Okay, Going to heaven when you die, that's a wonderful thing. That's an incredible promise. Do you know, going to heaven when you die is actually better than life now? Uh, Paul tells us that in Philippians because he says, when you go to heaven, you're in the immediate presence of Christ himself. And so that's better by far. But see, heaven when you die, that's only an intermediate state. That's where you wait for the grand finale of all that God has promised, which is to be an heir of the world. See, our our ultimate longing as believers is actually that this world that's been ruined by sin and death, our ultimate longing is that it will be restored and that we will be restored, that we will be raised from the dead so that we can live forever in this creation restored to all that it was meant to be. That's the ultimate longing. Uh, In other places in the Bible, it it calls this the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. Okay, there'll be no more sin, no more death in the home of righteousness. And that's ultimately what God promised to Abraham. That's what Abraham was ultimately looking forward to, a heavenly home, the new heavens and the new earth. And God promised that to Abraham and all of his offspring. Now, the big issue Paul is dealing with here, though, is that that, that's a wonderful promise, but how can you be sure 
that you will share in it. Okay? How can you know absolutely for certain that you will actually share in that? And that's what we learn here. Verse 13, the rest of verse 13, he, he gives it to us in summary and then he unpacks it in the following verses. So he says, to be an heir of the world, it doesn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So there's the summary statement. Now Paul unpacks that. First, it doesn't come through the law. Verse 14 to 15, for if the adherents of the law, who are, or if it is to be the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, so the point here is that if God only gave the promised inheritance to those who keep the law, then God is the only one who is going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. Why is that? Because the new heavens and the new earth is the home of righteousness. So to be, to be in, the, in that place, you need to be righteous. But we can't get righteous by keeping the law. Okay? Our good works aren't going to make us righteous. We can't get righteous through keeping the law. All that we can obtain through the law is, as Paul says, here's that word again in Romans, God's wrath. Okay, the law brings wrath. Uh, Paul says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's just a backwards way of saying that the law shows us when we transgress God's boundaries. That's what transgression is. Transgression is, you know, here's a boundary don't go across it, but when you do, you're a transgressor. See, the law shows us all God's boundaries and therefore when we look at the law, we see all the ways in which we've crossed, all the ways in which we've broken the law. And so the law shows us how disqualified we are by our own efforts to make it into the new heavens and new earth. That means if you are relying on your good works, to save you, if you're relying on your good works to get you into heaven, the only thing you can be certain of today is that you won't make it because the law brings wrath. Okay, so how then can God guarantee the promise? How can he guarantee that you'll share in the inheritance? Uh, verse 13 says, it's not by the law but through the righteousness of faith. Through the righteousness of faith. Uh, remember, God can only give this promise to those who are righteous. We have no righteousness of our own, which means if we are going to have righteousness, it has to come from a, a source outside of ourselves. And that source, as we've been learning in Romans, is Christ himself. Jesus, he lived the perfect life. He earned righteousness and he went to the cross to pay for all our unrighteousness. So when you receive Jesus by faith, remember last week we saw it, God counts you as righteous. That's how you can be included in the, in the inheritance. That's, that's the righteousness of faith. And so Paul unpacks that in verse 16 and 17. He says, uh, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. 
not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Uh, Now, there is a lot in that, um, but the main point here is that God can guarantee what he has promised to those who believe because it's a promise that rests on grace. And a promise that rests on grace is a promise to give something to people who don't deserve it. That's what we we are. We're undeserving. And yet God gives this wonderful gift, you know, the gift of a right status with him through Christ and therefore the gift of the promised inheritance. It's all by grace. It's not something we earn. It's something we receive, something that we don't deserve. And yet God gives it still. That's grace. See, Abraham, he received it as a gift of grace and so does everyone who comes before him, everyone who shares in the faith of Abraham. Do you see the point that Paul is making there? If you have faith like Abraham, then you too share in it and therefore it's guaranteed, guaranteed to all who receive it by faith alone. So there you go, that's that God's promised inheritance that can only be yours by receiving it through faith, faith alone. Now that raises a question, how do you know if you've got that faith? Or to put it another way, what does that faith actually look like? The faith that receives righteousness and therefore the faith that receives all that God promised, what does that faith look like? Well, Paul goes on to tell us in verses 18 to um, 22 and he does it by uh, analysing um, Abraham's faith. And when he analyses Abraham's faith, we see very clearly that, that faith, the faith that receives Christ's righteousness, is not a vague kind of... Unbe- uh, sorry, not a vague kind of belief. It's not sort of this, this vague sense that maybe there's a God out there somewhere... Um, and I'm, you know, guessing there is. That's that's not faith. Um, it's not faith. Isn't a vague belief that in the end everything will turn out okay. Okay, lots of people have that kind of faith. But what is the faith that Abraham had? What is the faith that receives all that God has promised? Well, when we analyse Abraham's faith, we realise that it actually has three parts to it. It has an object. It has a uh, foundation and it has an, a confidence. Okay, an object, a foundation and a confidence. So look at these things. Uh, first, what is the object of Abraham's faith? The object is God's promise. So verse 18 says, In hope Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So here we see the object of Abraham's faith, God's promise. God's promise, even when that promise seemed impossible to fulfil. See, I don't know if you know the life of Abraham um, that well, but uh, Abraham, you know, God showed up to Abraham one night and took Abraham outside on a starry night and uh, he said to Abraham, check out those stars. How many do you reckon there are? And, um, you know, if Abraham started to count them, I'm sure God would have said, look, don't bother, there's a lot. 
Um, but God said, I'm going to give you as many offspring as you can see stars in the sky. And that's, you know, that's what God said, so shall your offspring be. Now, God made that promise to Abraham when he was very old. And uh, his wife, Sarah, was barren. And despite that ob- obvious obstacle, what did, what did Abraham do? He believed. He believed the promise. And last time we saw it, God counted him as righteous through that faith. So Abraham took God at his word. In fact, look at what verse 19 says. Abraham did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So here we can see, this is a good picture of what faith is. Faith is the opposite of relying on yourself. See, Abraham was told you're going to have children and when he looked to himself, when he looked to his wife, he realised they have no power to bring it about themselves. And so when they looked at themselves, everything looked hopeless, but when they looked to God, when they listened to God's promise, then there was hope. And that's what he based his hope on. See, the object of his faith was God's promise. Okay, second though, there's a foundation to his faith. And the foundation is God's power. Uh, Verse 22, sorry, verse 21. It says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. See, how did Abraham know that God could pull it off? God says, I'm going to give you a child when you're, you know, 100 and your wife's barren. How could Abraham believe that promise? And the reason is, is because he trusted in God's power. Uh, Back in verse 17, if we uh, have a look there, uh, it says that um, the God in whom Abraham believed gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so you could actually imagine Abraham, um, you know, hearing this promise, looking at his situation, and then reasoning to himself like this. Okay, I know this promise seems impossible, but the one who is making this promise is the one who created everything out of nothing. Okay, the one who said to me, you're going to have as many offspring as the stars in the sky, he's the God who put all of those stars in the sky. And so if he can do all of that, then surely he can bring life, he can bring a child out of these bodies that are as good as dead. And so that was the foundation to Abraham's faith. He trusted in God's power, God's power to do what he had promised. But then there's a third aspect to Abraham's faith, and that is the confidence of Abraham's faith. And the confidence to his faith is actually God's faithfulness. And you see that when you look at verse 20 again. Uh, In verse 20 it says, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. Now again, I don't know if you know the story of Abraham well enough, but God promised Abraham that he would have offspring in chapter 12. He again repeated that uh, that promise in chapter 15. 
and again in chapter 17 that we read, and then the promise comes true. But between all those chapters, there's some times where Abraham really struggles, uh, some times where he gets himself into some jams and has to lie to get, to get out of it. Um, but the, the, the one that um, perhaps is most applicable here is uh, there's a time where he thinks, maybe I have to take matters into my own hands. Maybe I need to give God a hand to bring this promise to pass. And uh, so together with um, Sarah, uh, they agree on this. Abraham obtains a child through Sarah's maid, Hagar. Okay, so it's like Abraham's thinking, I'm going to give God a hand. And at that point, it looks like Abraham really wavered in his confidence in God's promise. And see, Paul knows that. You know, Paul has read the Old Testament. (laughs) He knows all of that. Uh, But Paul's point isn't to make out that Abraham had perfect faith. When he says no unbelief made Abraham waver, he's not saying Abraham's faith was flawless. You know, look at how powerful and strong it was. He's not saying that. But he's saying that through all the ups and downs in Abraham's life, the one thing that was certain, the one thing that was stable, was where his faith was anchored, in God. Okay? God's faithfulness was where Abraham's faith was anchored. And so despite all the shakiness, despite all of the failings, Abraham was secure okay? because his faith was firmly anchored in God alone. You know, God's promise didn't hang on the strength of Abraham's faith. Otherwise, everyone would be in trouble. But the the promise hung on God's faithfulness. Okay, one way to think about it is, um, you know, if you're flying in a jet and the flight is really rough, uh, then you can start to doubt that you'll get home safely. You know, you start to have all these images of this plane, you know, crashing and and, um, you dying. But... What gets you safely to your destination is not the strength of your faith in the plane. Okay, you can have all the doubts in the world, but what gets you safely to your destination is the strength of the plane itself. And it's the same when it comes to faith in God. Okay, God's promise of salvation, it doesn't depend on the strength of your faith. It depends on the strength of the one who's providing it, the strength of God on God's faithfulness. And that's where Abraham's confidence was anchored so that despite all of the ups and downs, verse 20 says that he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. See, you might have really weak faith, but if it's in God, you're fine. Okay, you're going to get there because God is the one who gets you there. And so you can imagine, let's think about Abraham at the very end of his life when he eventually dies, enters into heaven... You can imagine that when, when Abraham entered into heaven, there was this enormous round of applause. You know, all of the angels applauding. But who are they applauding for? Not Abraham, but God, because God was the one who got him there. See, it all depends on God's faithfulness. And that's very important to think about because uh, sometimes people can struggle with faith, but what you'll find is that their faith is actually in their faith, not in God. And so people can get very troubled with doubts 
and, um, and worries and, and sort of thinking that you're in and out of favour with God because one day your faith is strong but the next day it's weak. But that's not where your faith needs to be anchored, not in you, not in your faith. It needs to be anchored in God and then you're secure. See, that's the confidence of faith. And so when we examine Abraham's faith, here we see this is what faith looks like. This is the faith that receives all that God promises. It's the faith that is the very opposite of relying on yourself. It's the faith that looks away from self and looks to God and rests in God. That's what faith is. Trusting in God alone. And so the point of this section is not to say, look at how great Abraham's faith is, but it's to tell us, look at how reliable, look at how powerful and look at how faithful God is. Trust Him. Okay? Don't trust in yourself. You'll fail. Trust in the one who won't fail. That's what faith is. Faith is that trust. And so verse 22 says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. See, this is the kind of faith that receives the righteousness of Christ, a faith that puts no confidence in, in you, your abilities, your efforts, but all in God alone. That's what real faith looks like. And when your faith is in God alone and not at all in yourself, do you know what the result is? Assurance. You have confidence because you know God will keep his promise. Okay, so we can have assurance of all that God promises through faith alone. We know what that faith looks like, trusting in him. But finally, in this passage, we have a guarantee. Okay, God makes a promise and he has given a guarantee. What's the guarantee? We'll have a look at verse 23 to 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So here Paul concludes this study of Abraham's life, reminding us that just as it was with Abraham, so it will be for everyone who believes. Okay, God counted righteousness to Abraham through faith in his promise. God will count righteousness to everyone who believes, everyone who puts their faith in God's promise, but it's the promise fulfilled. Okay, the promise fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. You know, this passage says that righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. See, Abraham, that, that was included in the promise to Abraham, but he didn't know it fully. But now we have, it, we have the full promise. We have the fulfillment of the promise in Christ. And so that's the guarantee. That's why verse 25 says about Jesus, delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. So think about God's promise. Okay? Consider God's promise to you. He promises to forgive all your sin. He promises to count Christ's righteousness to you. He promises to raise your body from the grave so that you can live forever in the new heavens and in the new earth. They're all the promises God has made to you 
and you can be 100% confident that they will all come to pass because God has given a guarantee and the guarantee is Jesus delivered over for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Okay, so when you think of the empty tomb, that's your confidence. That's the guarantee. Christ has risen, you too will rise. Okay, Jesus is the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. It's already broken in. It's begun in Jesus. And when he comes again, it will all be finalised. That's the guarantee. So I want to finish with this question. The question is, are you sure? Do you have assurance? Okay, are you sure that you're saved? Are you confident that if you were to die tonight, God would welcome you with open arms into heaven? Now, sometimes that question actually upsets people. Uh, many years ago, when I um, first started preaching, um, I did say to a congregation once, <clears throat> no, actually, I asked this same question to a congregation. I said, are you certain that you're saved? And after the service, someone took me aside, rebuked me very sternly and said, that is the most arrogant thing you could say to anyone, to say that you're sure that you're saved. And I didn't think of it at the time, um, but later I realised that the problem there was that, that that person just didn't understand the gospel. That person was relying on their own good works because if you're relying on your own good works to get into heaven, then to say that you're certain, well, that does sound very arrogant, doesn't it? Because it's saying, look at how great I am. But see, the good news is that your salvation does not rest on any of your works. Nothing you do contributes to it. It's all based on Christ's work. And so when you stop trusting yourself and transfer all of your trust onto Jesus, you've actually got a basis for assurance that is not arrogant at all, but one that is completely humble and one that is completely certain and one which gives all the glory to God alone because he is the one who has done all the work. You just receive it as a gift. And so to say that you're certain is to say all the glory to God. It's to say that he really is all I need. And there's nothing arrogant about that. And so that's why Paul says the key verse in this passage is verse 17. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all who believe. So it turns out that song, <laughs> remember that song? It is an amazing song. No wonder it's a favourite. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 